Well, this crowd looks a little less intimidating than the last one. <laughs> but I'm glad that some people came back after they knew I was going to preach. <laughs> the last time, nobody knew. And, um, so this, this, anyway, this is encouraging. There's a few friendly faces out there. Um, part of what I'm going to talk about today will be a little bit of review from what I spoke about the last time. So we'll touch on that a little bit. But um, what I'd like to do is, is just start by, I'm going to start in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. And uh, Paul's writing to Timothy in, in both letters, First and Second Timothy. But here he's, he's telling him some of the things he's going to face, some of the challenges he's going to face, and he's, he's encouraging him. And um, here in, in verse 14... He's telling him, but as you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think probably a lot of us, I know a lot of the people here that are my age, maybe not all of them, but several of you had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. And probably, uh, you know, anybody that's been to church, been around church for a number of years, some of these scriptures about God's word are probably very familiar to you. Um, and I think Timothy knew him. And Paul here, he's he's just reminding Timothy You've known these from infancy when you were a child. If you grew up in a Christian home, I hope that you've heard of them or knew them from infancy. I did. I've heard them. I know them. I know them. I have a head knowledge of them. And, um, and I have a heart knowledge of them too now, and I, I, I didn't always. But he is encouraging Timothy. He's reminding him what the word is good for. Timothy knows it, but Paul's telling him, you can lean on this. Come back to this. This is what it's good for. Um, some of the other scriptures you're probably familiar with, uh, I'm going to go through them quickly. Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'm sure most of you have heard that. Ephesians six seventeen, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In Paul's description of the armor that we should put on, the spiritual armor. Um, Matthew 4, verse 4, when the devil is tempting Jesus and telling him, if you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus tells him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think these are all things that, that we know, we've heard. And um, if you remember where we stopped the other day, I was talking about Jesus's command to his disciples right before he left to want, love each other as he had loved them and, and that that's what our ultimate goal is to do and how that is absolutely teetotally unattainable outside of Jesus Christ and what he does for us and what I would like to do today is show how important God's word is in Jesus's plan God's plan for redemption and how that works together to get us to where we can do what the father has called us to do um, before I go on any further I, I started off talking about how some of us have grown up from infancy in the church, and I'd like to share just a little bit more of my story, because what I hope to do 
in this is to bring God's word alive. Not that I can do it, but then in speaking it, it would stir us in our hearts. Um, we're coming up on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Reformation, revival, these things start in the heart of individuals. And a lot of times, every time, I think it stems from God's word, penetrating us, revealing itself to us in a new way, maybe rediscovering things that were lost or new things. Um, so as I grew up in the church with a family, that it was very important for us to go to church. I don't think I ever missed a single time other than being sick or away for vacation. And I like to go coon hunting with my best buddy on Saturday nights. And if I came in right before church started, I was going to church. Uh, there was no excuse for missing church, um, which that was a good thing. Um, so uh, but what I'm trying to get at is a lot of these things we've heard and we know, and we may know them in our mind, but let's get them down inside of our hearts. A big turning point for me and, and Amy is whenever, uh, probably in 2010, um, Amy had started following a, a pastor in a church in Birmingham, and, and they, the pastor challenged them to get into, wor- into the Word and, and to read through the Bible in a year. And as they read through the Bible in a year, he would preach on it, and Amy said, hey, why, why don't we read through the Bible in a year? And I wasn't that excited about it. <laughs> For one reason, I'm dyslexic, so I have a hard time reading. Uh, thankfully, my parents helped me. I, I became I, I became proficient in reading, but I read very slowly. Um, so it was a little bit of a challenge to me. But Amy, thank, thankfully, God spoke to her heart, and she challenged me, and we did it together. So since 2010, we've been reading through the Bible every year. Um, first of all, we started off reading through it chronologi- chronologically is what they were doing. And then from there, we, we switched over to... Uh, McShane reading of the Bible reading through the whole year and it just changed me from the inside out to read God's word daily and um, I hope that you'll be challenged to do that and to lead your family in that and I would like to back that up with some scripture and maybe I don't think I'm going to be presenting it in a new way but I just want you to think about it so we talked about in John first in, in John chapter 1 the last time I'm just going to go there real quickly we talked about how it says that the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and Jesus is the Word, and God sent His Word. Um, and then we, we went on to John 15 after He gave the command for us to love each other as ourselves, as He loved the church. And uh, in, in John 15, He, he tells them, he, he equates it to the vine and the vine dresser, and He, he asks them to, invi- to abide in me, to stay in me. And, and that's one role that the Word plays for us to stay in Christ is to stay in the Word. Jesus is the Word. So to show, I, I, and to be honest, uh, as I started reading this, it became more and more clear to me how easy it is to separate those things in your mind. But I would like to, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in John 17... Jesus has just gone through all that. He's been telling his disciples, helping them to get ready for what's to come. And he prays for them, and he prays for us. And he tells, he, in verse 3, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom, whom you have sent. We, we know that. Uh, what I'd like to do is, is come down here 
to verse 6. And I just want you to look at everywhere that he talks about the word and then think about the role that the word plays. He says in doing this, as I did this, this is how I did it. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the word you gave me and they accepted them. So they accepted God's words. He goes on, he continues praying. He, he prays that they would be one as he and the Father are one. He goes on down in verse 14. He says, I have given them the word and the world. I have given them the word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them only. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So you can see the, he talks about it several times there in the word. And, and he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. What, what is their message? What do we call that today? The gospel. And we have that written down for us, right? It wasn't then, it wasn't yet. But their message is the New Testament, God's word. And he's praying for all of us that believe in God's word, the New Testament, the Old Testament, all of God's word, that we would be made one as the Father's made one. So he wants us to know him. He wants us to understand how it works. And he wants us to be made one. And I think, again, these are all things that we know and we believe, and we could probably even answer the questions if somebody questioned us. But I think, I think this starts to show what an important part God's word plays in his plan for redemption from the beginning. We sang a song while ago that Jesus, God, stepped down and wrote the story, his love story to us. That's God's word. So my concern is if we know all these things, and I think we do know them, and we probably have a head knowledge of them. I know this is certainly how it worked for me. I had a head knowledge of it. And as I started reading through the word, it didn't come right away. But as I started reading through the word, it started to come alive on the inside of me. And it changed me. And what my concern is, is if, if we know these things and if this should be that important to us, why don't we spend the time we should in the word with God, letting him reveal himself to us? It's, it's the best tool that we have that he's given us is his word, to know him, to know God, to know what he's like. Let's go... Let's go to James, chapter 1. And, and I hope that, that you, if, you, if you can, if you will, if you want to, to go back and read all of Jesus' prayer. And, and all these places where I'm reading from, there, there's just a, an expanse of things that could be spoken on and unpacked. And, and it was, it's just hard for me to not get sidetracked. But what I'm trying to do is to show how important the word is and how many times it comes up through different authors in the Bible, through their message to us, which Jesus just said that that's how we'll be saved, that we'll come to him through their message. 
in James chapter 1, verse 16, it says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like sifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So there's a lot there. There's, there's a whole lot there. But he says he chose to give us, give us birth through the word of the truth. Um, on down there, he, he, tells us, he tells us what it ought to be producing in us. God's word should be, be producing in us a righteousness that God desires. And he says that we should humbly accept the word planted in us, which can save you. And that's what Jesus was just saying in, in 17. He said, he said, they have accepted my words that you gave me to give them. So God's word is important. And James here, he's explaining that we are born by the Spirit, through the Spirit, through the word of truth, the gospel. He tells us to put the word into practice and to seek the righteousness that God desires. And that's, that's what God's word does. That's what it should be doing. It should be transforming us, making us able to love one another as he's commanded us to do. James is making an important part, a point, sorry. James is making an important point about the unity of God's word, which is both the means of our new birth and a law that directs our Christian conduct. He calls it the royal law in James chapter 2, verse 8. Can anybody guess what the royal law is? Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but, you know, it's such a huge thing. So many intricate details, you know, and what's, what, of how you do that and what it looks like in your life. And I think it's so interesting that in the middle of his discourse about what the Word of God does in our lives, he takes a little side note and he says, Hey, be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. You know? This is, this is what the Word should be working inside of you. First Peter chapter 1. Verses 22 through 2, 5. Very similar. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word that's been preached to us. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, 
so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So it's very similar to what James has just told us. The same concept. But he goes on to describe the body of Christ as a temple made of living stones, made alive by Jesus, the living cornerstone. I don't know if any of you remember what Ron touched on this a little bit. Um, I think it was last Sunday. And it goes back to the body of Christ being a living temple and that God's making us through his word, through Jesus, which in John says Jesus is the word. And we happen to have it written down, but he is the word, the spoken word as God breathed it out. I don't understand all that, but it's amazing to me. And so it makes me appreciate what we have here in our hands. And it tells me that we all have a part to play in building the temple. Let's jump over to Ephesians 2. It, it, it says a similar, similar thing. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. In verse 10, up a little bit further from where I started, it says, probably a lot of you are familiar with this, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He already has a spot in his wall of his temple that you fit perfectly into. And he has a job for you to do. Jesus came, he set us free, but he set us free to be a part of something. We have a job to do. And um, I think we discover that as we read through God's word. And if, if we're not reading through God's word, we're probably missing out on what he's trying to purpose us for. Um, Ephesians 4. Again, there's lots of stuff here. I encourage you to go back and read around these scriptures that I'm giving to you. Um, chapter 4, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. More of the same peace, unity, a part of the, God's temple. Showing us that the Word of God should be changing us into what He's created us to be. And then I'm going to read a pretty good chunk of this because I think this is really comes to bear on another thing that Ron has been trying to teach us, and it's about the family unit and how important it is and how much it's under attack in our country today. And it has to do with God's word. 
I'm going to read verses. This is chapter 5. Um, Verses 8, I'm going to read 8 through 20. It says, For you were, once, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. And how do we find out what pleases the Lord? We can find out a little bit by coming to church on Sundays. And on Thursday nights. And our children can find out a little bit about it from Addie on Thursday nights. But how do we really find out? We can dig into God's Word. He's written it out for us. I mean, it's a lot there, but it's there for us to find, to discover, to take into our soul for our own. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Same thing that James has been saying, that Paul's been saying, that Peter's saying. Down in 15, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to be speaking the word to each other when we come together. In order to be equipped to do that, like where we first started in 2 Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy, these things equip you for good works. Find out what God's will is. Then he tells us, this is my will. Come together. Exhort one another with psalms and hymns. Encourage one another from my word. How do you do that? You get prepared. You equip yourself with God's word. His saving word. He says, next, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Now, that, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of of his body. For this reason... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and he must respect, and, she, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I read this a lot in in terms of how I should treat my wife and how I think she ought to treat me, you know. Um, but what's really beautiful to me is what what Paul is saying here is he's saying that Jesus cleansed us through the water of the word and he feeds his church. What does he feed us? 
feeds us the bread. God's word. He feeds us God's word. And so as I thought about this, I thought, you know, any mom or especially a dad who didn't provide for their family or feed them, I mean, we don't have a very good view of people like that. And then I thought, oh my goodness, what am I doing to feed my family spiritually? Am I feeding them the word or am I starving them? I think that's a big problem in the church. It's a big problem in our country, in the whole world. And um, if we really believe what we believe, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't have been for me. And, I, you know, we started in 2010, and here it is 2017, and I did throw my nail gun in between 10 and 17. So it is a work in progress. Um, but there's a vast difference between my life before getting into the Word and after getting into the Word. And I was saved before I got into the Word, but now I appreciate deeper what God's done for me. And I, and I, want, I want to make the Word alive to my family, to my children. And if, if we, as fathers and mothers, but he's speaking here to fathers, I think fathers is the household, head of the household, if we're doing our jobs, then it shouldn't. Then, then the children should be right in obeying us, and our wives should be right in submitting to us, and we should be right in loving our wives if we're under God's word and feeding them and washing them with God's word. Now that does mean more than. That doesn't mean coming to church and letting Ron or another teacher do that for you. That's not what they're here for. God equips them to equip us. If that's all that you're participating in, I hate to be blunt, but it's not enough. It wasn't enough for me. And now that I've started and I've been doing it, when I when I miss it for one reason or the other, I miss it and I crave it. And I'm not saying that to boast. If I would boast in anything, it would be a wife who encouraged me to do it. And the Lord who worked in my heart to do it. Because it wasn't a fun thing when I first started. It, it was like homework, you know. And uh, then the up the ante. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the condition of a dyslexic, but it's one thing to read to yourself slowly. It's a totally another thing to read out loud. So Amy comes up with another good idea. Hey, why don't we read that out loud? I said, okay, I'll listen. <laughs> but no, she, she said, you read half, I'll read half. And man, that was brutal for me. And it was probably even worse for her because she had to listen to me read it. And, uh, but it, it's made me proficient in, in reading anything out loud. I would say before that time, I, I don't think there's any way I could have got up here and read from the scripture to you in a comprehensible way, considering being nervous. Uh, it just it wouldn't be possible. I don't think anybody anybody who doesn't have the disorder, and I hate to call it that because I think God made me that way, and there's things that I have that other people don't have, so it's not really a disorder, but it is a challenging thing. I think anybody that has it could understand, and I don't understand how your brain works, so <laughs> we're, all, we're all equal. So to bring us back, we're talking about building the temple, being parts, being stones in a living temple that God is building. And the way we do that is by equipping ourselves through God's word. What I would like to do 
because I think this is neat, is let's go back to Chronicles where the first temple is getting its, getting its roots, getting its start. And this is First Chronicles chapter 21 and 22. And I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it for the sake of time. But basically what is, what's happened here is um, David has gotten off track like a lot of us are tended to do. And, and he decides that he needs to count everybody that's able to fight in his army. And so he's starting to depend more on his own men, his own resources, other than the only reason we've won in the past is because God allowed it. So he wants a census taken. Joab, which is not a really upstanding guy, he says, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. David didn't listen to him. They did it anyway. God is angry with David, and judgment falls on the nation of Israel because of David's sin. He gives them three options. To, be, to face the swords of their enemies, to die. Um, to be subjected to famine or to fall into the hands of the Lord, plague for three days. And David says, give me the plague. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord. He's merciful. That's what happens. In the midst of this, God tells David, you need to go and you need to build an altar on Aruna's threshing floor and you need to make a sacrifice for me. And so he goes about doing it. And when he goes and he gets to Aruna's threshing floor, I'm going to read this part. He, um, this, is, this is what happens here. While Aruna was threshing wheat, he turned and saw the angel. This is the angel of the Lord that's bringing the plague. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. Then David approached. And when Aruna looked and saw him, he left the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. David said to him, let me have the side of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague of the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at the full price. And Aruna's response to David is this. Aruna says to David, take it. Let my Lord, the king, do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all this. But King David replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that cost me nothing. So just, I didn't, the first time I read this, it didn't really even click with me. I was just, I was reading through the Bible as our plan goes. And, uh, and then later on I thought, you know, that, that was really something. I mean, I know Aruna got paid for it, but he was so willing to just say, here, take it all. Whatever we need to do, let's get it done, you know. But as I studied and researched it a little bit, um, the threshing floor was a big, it's where the Temple Mount is now, but it was a big, flat, just a rock outcropping on the top of a hill, and it's where they would bring the grain. They would cut the grain, put it in, into shocks. They would take it up there, and then just like modern-day combine, they beat it to death until the grain comes out of it. Um, but what it takes to do that, you have to have a nice, clean spot, and you have to have these threshing sledges, which I don't know what that was, so I looked it up. That's pretty, it's not so sophisticated, but it's a big wood sled that the oxen would drag around and around. On, on the wheat or whatever they're threshing. And so I don't imagine there was a whole lot of firewood on top of there because I don't think Mark would want somebody camping out in his wheat before it's harvested, building a campfire. So I don't think anybody was building fires up there. So David comes to make a sacrifice, and Aruna says, man, 
we don't have time. We, we, I've got wood here. Yeah, it's threshing sledges. Let's use the wood. I've got oxen. They're highly trained to do this. But let's sacrifice them. Here's the wheat for it. Let's not waste any time. Let's do this. And I thought, that's pretty amazing. Because I, I, don't, I don't think my heart is bent that way all the time. And, uh, and David, too, he, he's, you know, he could have taken it. He's the king. And he said, no, I'm going to pay you for it. Because I'm not going to make a sacrifice that costs me nothing. So probably if this would have been me, Aruna, Andrew's threshing floor, I would have said something like, well, you know, um, what about just this little corner over here? Because really this is the only place for miles and miles that we can do this. So maybe just you take just, you know, just this little part over here. Can, can you do it there? And just keep the fire over there. And, you know, we don't have any firewood, but old Joe down the road, I think he's got a stack of mesquite wood. Why don't you go check with him? And, you know, Sam down the road, he's got an old cow. It's probably going to die anyway in a couple of days. <laughs> go get that cow. Go get the wood from over there. And if you could just try to keep it in this area, because I'm really trying to work over here, because this is important to me. That's not what he did, but that's, I think that might be what I might have done. And of course, um, that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's coming into your heart and he's saying, I want to build a temple here. I want to make you all into something. And are we willing to say, here it is, take it all. I think of the song, I Surrender All. And then I think, am I really surrendering all? I can sing that song, but then when I look at some of the fruit in my life and some of the reactions I have in an instant, before I even think about it, I start to question if my heart's right. So, all this happened, and David decides this is where we're going to build the temple. This is where the name of God's going to be. We're going to build this altar here. David's not the one to build the temple, but he starts getting everything ready for his son. In verse 19, he says, Now devote your hearts and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord God. His charge to Solomon in verse in chapter 28, 9 through 10. He says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house. As a sanctuary, be strong and do the work. So that's, that's my charge to you. To be strong and do the work. It's all here. It's in his word. And I, I'm not saying that you have to do what I do, but I'm just asking you to look at what you do. And are you feeding your family if you have a family? If you're, if you're grandparents, are you, do your kids see that that's important to you? And if your family with small kids or fixing to have small kids, if your kids see you giving the word attention, then they're going to know that it's important to you. And so that's my charge, is to do the work. Let's build God's temple. And I just want, my, I, I pray, I'll just... Just so you're on your guard, I pray for everybody here in our congregation that the Word of God would transform us, that it would 
ignite us and that it would draw us closer to God, closer to one another. And I think we do a really good job of that already, but I think we could do better. And um, again, I have no idea where you're at on your how you read the word or how you study it. And I'm not trying to be harsh and I'm not trying to brag about what I do because to be honest with you, if I spent the time that I spent this week getting ready for this, if I did that every week, I would, I mean, I would be better off. But you got to make time. You got to sacrifice. You got to make a spiritual sacrifice. That's what we've been reading about. So if you can, if you will, if you want to, I encourage you to go back and read some of these things and to study them. And I I hope that it made sense to you because as I read and poured over the scriptures, it it made sense to me. And I've been looking at it all week and I I just hope that it touches your heart. I hope that that the word of God touches your heart because there's nothing I can do. There's nothing Ron can do. There's nothing Addie can do. It's God's word. It's God's spirit in us. Um, and as we as we think about communion, that's the whole the whole reason any of this works is because Jesus was willing to come down and die for us and to make make God's word true. So I'd like to just invite everybody. Uh, to partake in the Lord's Supper and to think about what it means for us and that it is an opportunity for us to be a part of something way bigger than than we are and it does it, it does ask us to follow the example of Christ and to lay things down that we probably have a lot firmer hold on than we think um